In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop story. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. The battle for Georgia's runoffs is underway. That goes to show he has led... He is corrupt. He's a liar. He lied on Jody Heiss. He lied on AJC. He lied on everybody. You lied on the AJC. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the podcast we want you to depend on for the most on-the-ground coverage of the 2022 election. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with your other host, Patricia Murphy, and we are two of the political insiders here at the AJC. A reminder, if you're just listening to us for the first time, please follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Patricia, for once, we're actually not on the road. I'm at my house with my daughter, the one who isn't off the sleepaway camp, you're at home too, but we had a we had a busy week of, um, or at least a busy day of de- runoff debates hosted by the Atlanta Press Club. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yesterday got kind of crazy. Um, Monday did. I hosted two of those debates at the press club, and when I got to the studio, people were still talking about that tenth district debate that happened, where they were just talking about who had been lying about the AJC. Um, probably both of them. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you love it when candidates, uh, namely Vernon Jones, who uses most of his time to attack the AJC, uses us to um, to pummel his opponents as well. And let's start with that race because, you know, we've got three congressional re- Republican runoffs that we're watching in the 6th District, 10th District, and 2nd District down in Southwest Georgia, and also some Democratic statewide runoffs that we'll talk about as well. But the, some of the sharpest action was in these Republican co- congressional runoffs um, the winner of these runoffs will almost undoubtedly become the next U.S. House members um, because they're drawn to favor Republican candidates. In the 10th District, which was once held by Jody Heiss out in Northeast Georgia, um, this is a battle between former Democrat Vernon Jones and Mike Collins, a uh, trucking executive whose father served in the U.S. House, um, who is a lifelong Republican. And it's, again, another battle, another test over Donald Trump's clout because Trump endorsed Vernon Jones, um, mainly so he could get Vernon Jones out of the governor's race and give David Perdue a clear shot at Brian Kemp. We saw how that turned out. Um, but this is, you know, we, we don't expect Donald Trump to come down to Georgia. He might do some tele-rallies. This could be a chance for some Donald Trump revenge, maybe? Uh, sure. I mean, anytime that he's endorsed one Republican candidate over another or over multiple in this case, I mean, Donald Trump needs to rack up some wins here in Georgia. 
And the 10th congressional district is a big one because this is the race where he plucked Vernon Jones out of the governor's race against Brian Kemp and put him into this race in the 10th, um, essentially saying, oh, here, now you can have free uh, have a free run at this. But that was already a very crowded primary, including by Mike Collins. And so you have these two men running against each other and you can feel how down to the wire this is and how down to the wire they both know it is. And to your point that this really essentially is the general election for these two guys, because there won't be a Democratic candidate more than likely who could ever mount a, um, you know, a real challenge in that really conservative 10th congressional district. And so you, uh, you can feel how tense it is. And these are two guys who are really different from each other. They came from totally opposite parties, totally opposite poles of the political spectrum just two years ago. And now here they are battling it out on a debate stage. And it got really personal really quickly, um, especially when Vernon Jones really very quickly went after Mike Collins' father, Matt Collins, um, who was in Congress and, you know, started life as a Democrat, as m- as many Georgians did, many George Republicans were once Democrats. Um, but very quickly, he got in there and was attacking Mac Collins, who, of course, has passed away. And Mike Collins was just incensed over that. And it really set the tone for how personal and ugly and just vitriolic that debate was. Look, um, Mike Collins and his and his allies, they see Vo- Vernon Jones as a complete phony. He was, uh, you know, a year ago-ish, he was still a Democrat. Two years ago, he was a member of the Georgia legislature who had yet not yet endorsed Donald Trump. And now he's running as a far-right Donald Trump supporter. He has a liberal voting record um, that, that Mike Collins and his, and his supporters are hoping to exploit. Um, and he was the CEO of the biggest Democratic stronghold in, in Georgia, DeKalb County. Um, this when I when Vernon Jones got in this race, I wrote this might be the biggest test of Trump's clout in the nation, and not because of the importance of this race. It's going to go, you know, to a GOP member no matter what. This isn't a very competitive general. This is not a competitive general election contest at all. But because of the nature of this, of who he endorsed, I mean, someone who again, not long ago, was voting with the Democratic caucus on just about every key issue, including against the anti-abortion heartbeat bill that that Brian Kemp signed into law. Vernon, why did you vote against the heartbeat bill twice? Why did you, in your own words, threaten to put pro-abortion Democrats in power if the heartbeat was passed? And why did you, in your own words, say abortion should be legal up to the moment of birth? Okay, first of all, my record's clear. I took the same position that Georgia Right to Life took. And that position was that life starts at conception, not at six weeks. Also, let's be clear, the Georgia right to life wanted no exceptions in that bill. I support no exceptions for abortion. Mike wants exceptions. I do not. And as a matter of fact, the Georgia right to life, not only were they opposed to the bill, but they actually rescinded the vote, rescinded the endorsement for the Republicans that they supported. And so if if. If Mike want to say that he's pro-life or not, he can say it, but he's for life with exceptions. I am pro-life all the way. And that's why I took uh, the position I took on that bill. I am pro-life all the way. Mr. Collins, your rebuttal. Yes, ma'am. First of all, I have always stated and I've always been and always will be 100 percent pro-life, period. No exceptions. This is just obvious. Vernon Jones is a con man. And, And what you have to do is look and see who do you trust? Who do you trust in such important issues as life? Somebody that's been a corrupt 30-year career politician who has been out there drumming the be- beating the drum 
for pro-abortion activists his entire life. I think that's, that's, that's what we're getting down to. It's just a trust issue. It's a trust issue. Mike Collins says, Vernon Jones says, my record is clear. Uh, our producer, Shane, um, he went back. Let's, let's play the tape from that 2019 debate where Vernon Jones made his position quite clear. Is it not true that if your members or some of your members vote for this bill and in 2020 your party loses, there's going to be a new speaker of the House here, maybe Vernon Jones, and if there's a new speaker, don't underestimate, and if there's a new speaker, many in your party will lose power. Many of you, all of you would lose your chairmanships. Staff be changed. It would be a complete overhaul. Is it not true? if you all lose based on this bill, that this body is going to change over. I disagree with the gentleman's premise. I think Georgians recognize the rightness of this. There's certainly dissent, but this is not a political issue. This is not been, we're not doing this for political reasons. We're doing this because it's right. Patricia, that was um, Vernon Jones, then a Democrat, browbeating Ed Setzler, a Republican, over the anti-abortion heartbeat bill that ended up passing very narrowly in the Georgia legislature. And the laughter you heard when he said he would be the Democratic Speaker of the House if Republicans kept on passing conservative legislation, it was not from Republicans, it was from his fellow Democrats who treated him even back then as a pariah. So that's why this race <laughs> is so fascinating because you've got you know the hometown guy, Mike Collins, who's born and bred in the district, whose father was a Congress member, um, going up against a Trump-endorsed outsider, Vernon Jones, who lives in Metro Atlanta and um, only recently switched parties. But if Vernon, the fact that Vernon is even in a runoff goes to show you that, that Trump's clout still matters. It might not get you big wins in, against incumbents, but in open races, it might be worth 20 to 30 points. And in, in a race like this, you know, with low turnout, anything could happen. Yes, anything could happen. It's important to say that the only people who can vote in this GOP primary are people who, excuse me, this GOP runoff are the people who voted in the GOP primary. So that's going to be the universe of people that they have to work with. But even to get somebody out on June 21st in the middle of the summer, that is going to be a tough one. There's a lot of golf that gets played over in the 10th Congressional District. It's going to be hard <laughs> to get people <laughs> off of the golf course um, and back out to the polls. Um, but uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, what has Jody Heist done in this district so far? I know that he had originally endorsed Timothy Barr. Has he made a pick in the runoff yet? I have not seen him make a pick in this runoff. Remember, Jody Heist beat Mike Collins Um in a very nasty runoff years ago, 2014, I think it was. So there's no love lost between them. I don't think he's particularly close to Vernon Jones because most Republicans um, have steered clear of Vernon Jones as well. So I don't know what clout Jody Heiss has, though, after getting resoundingly losing to Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, even with Trump's endorsement. Um, I'm curious to see what Governor Kemp does in this yeah, race. Absolutely. This is his backyard. He's from Athens, which is in the 10th District now. Um, he is, um, you know, he, he, he loaded up the votes. He just tallied huge margins of, of victory over David Perdue in the 10th congressional district. He won some of these precincts, some of these counties with 80% of the vote. He's the most popular Republican right now in Georgia, even more so than Donald Trump, um, after, after this primary victory. So his clout, his endorsement means a lot more than I think anyone else's, probably including Donald Trump.
Yeah, and it would be fascinating to see if the governor gets involved in some of these Republican runoffs because he is at this point where he is not currently going up against Donald Trump right now. If he gets involved in some of these primary races against the Donald Trump candidate, that immediately restarts that feud between those two and and it creates that dynamic of Kemp versus Trump all over again. Um, Maybe that's a battle he wants to have or maybe it's a battle he doesn't even care about, but that will be part of the storyline if he decides to get involved in these, but he certainly has the clout to throw around. Um, I think it's interesting to hear, and really throughout that debate, I was fascinated. It It really struck me how far right this debate has gone between the two of these candidates. And even if the Donald Trump candidates don't win in these races, they are really pushing all of the candidates very, very far to the right on these issues. So when there's a conversation about abortion and they both say, hey, I'm I'm against abortion, all abortion, no exceptions, that really was not the position of the majority of Republicans in Georgia even two years ago, you know, when they were mm-hmm. voting on um, the heartbeat bill, that actually has exceptions in it. That has exceptions for um, uh, uh, fatal fetal abnormalities. It has uh, obviously the exception at the very least up to six weeks. Um, so there are exceptions in that bill. And it's one of the most restrictive abortion laws in the country um, if it were to be put uh, put into place. So um, the the conversation on the right with Donald Trump candidates in there has just become so unnuanced. It's it's to the point where there is no difference on policy. It's just, are you with Trump? Are you against Trump? Are you lying? Are you telling the truth? I agree with you, Patricia, on the fact that on issues, guns, abortion, culture wars issues, religious liberty, all these issues, um, Republicans have moved far to the right. But I don't know if it's because of the Trump influence. Because look, you know, we're about to talk about the sixth district. Well, Trump didn't endorse Jake Evans until later on in the contest. Um, even before Vernon Jones got in the 10th district, there were candidates going far to the right on all those issues, having similar positions. And even the candidates, as we well know in the Georgia governor's race, even the candidates who doesn't get Trump's endorsement, they're not saying anything bad about Donald Trump. They're, they're, they're sticking, they're embracing his agenda. And in some cases, like Mike Collins saying all sorts, they're saying that Donald Trump was the one who was bamboozled. He was tricked into, into endorsing Vernon Jones. We all know why he endorsed Vernon Jones. He wanted to give David Perdue the clear path against um, uh, against Brian Kemp. Um, but you know that that's sort of the way. It might be some Trump influence too. But these these I think it's more gerrymandering than anything. When you draw a district that's 70, 80 percent Republican, you're not getting too many candidates with moderate positions on anything. No, and um, we can talk a little bit more about that sixth district race because that is a great example of a gerrymandered district now redrawn specifically by the Georgia General Assembly to create another Republican district where there was not one. Um, Lucy McBath flipped that district. They have redrawn it to um, scoop up some more of the some more conservative districts in Forsyth County, Cherokee County, um, to and Dawson County, of course, to make that a Republican district. But it really wasn't one, and the demographics yeah. and the politics caught up with the 6th District, and the Republicans are, you know, outrunning it for now by redrawing the lines. And that's how we've uh, come to the point where um, uh, Rich McCormick and Jake Evans are going to be very well positioned to win outright um, if they win uh, in this runoff. Let's get right to that runoff, because as you mentioned, yeah, that that 6th District is now represented by Lucy McBath. It used to be sort of the inner suburbs, the close-in suburbs of Metro Atlanta going from East Cobb over to North DeKalb, um, where I live, 
Um, the, the redistricting took North DeKalb off of the sixth district map and included in Hank Johnson's district. So that made it um, safely blue. And instead, now the sixth district stretches all the way up to Dawson County. So the, the northernmost part of sixth district is closer to Tennessee than it is to downtown Atlanta now. Very conservative territory. So conservative, of course, that Lucy McBeth said, I can't win this district. She ran against Carolyn Bordeaux instead and, and defeated her um, in, in the Democratic primary. So now you've got this very conservative district. Um, Rich McCormick, who lost to Carolyn Bordeaux in the last election cycle, um, he is he is he comes in with the name recognition, the front runner status and all that. Um, forced into a runoff by Jake Evans, an attorney, um, close ties to state government, was the, uh, the, the the leader of the state ethics commission. His father is a well-known Republican behind the scenes mover and shaker who was an ambassador under Donald Trump's administration. Um, gets Jake Evans gets Trump's endorsement. But right now you'd have to say Rich McCormick is still the front runner of this contest. Yeah, he certainly feels like it. I mean, he's the one who is much better known, um, certainly by Republican voters. He he was up on the air in 2020. And so he's just a name and a face that is familiar kind of in those northern suburbs. And um, as an ER, ER doctor, I think he's just a he I don't want to say he's a more memorable candidate, but he's the only ER doctor in the race. Jake Evans is an attorney, um, very young, uh, known, really most well known for being the son of Randy Evans, who is a big time Republican mover and shaker. Um, but that's why that Trump endorsement was so important for Jake Evans, because being able to get that Trump endorsement, and he's just had a parade of Trump associates come through that district, um, not the least of which is Newt Gingrich, who used to represent the sixth and is a very close um, with Randy Evans, who is Jake Evans' father. So that's really helped uh, boost his, uh, not just his uh, name ID among those conservative activists who are so important in these runoffs, um, but also, of course, with Donald Trump. And then uh, he was able to to nab that endorsement. If there is a big flashpoint in that race, it is over um, a paper that Jake Evans wrote about while he was in law school. Let's listen to a, a confrontation at the debates at the Atlanta Press Club on Monday. Jake, you wrote a 23-point page uh, manifesto that called the criminal justice system and law enforcement racist. You even called for the police to be defunded. You claim to be conservative, but your words sound just like Democrats. You flip flop more than Joe Biden. How can we trust you? Well, that is one of the biggest blatant lies ever. And I'm disappointed in you for actually bringing that up at a debate here today. This paper was drafted first for a law school class 10 years ago. Rich McCormick and his campaign tried to go before the Marietta Daily Journal to try to change the facts, and you got called out about it. The Marietta Daily Journal comes forward and says, that's not true. This is a ridiculous joke to think that someone like me, who's devoted my career to protecting law enforcement, fighting for law enforcement, who has family members in law enforcement, both at the deputy sheriff level and the police level. I'm endorsed by Donald Trump. Donald Trump rejected you. He rejected you because you're bought out by special interests. You're a failed politician that has been running for 38 consecutive months. Defund the police on one hand and rejected by Donald Trump on the other. We'll see which argument wins out, Patricia, but you know that gives you a in a microcosm, that is the snapshot of, of how far to the right Republicans are right now in this race. 
There it is. And it is just crazy to see that associated with the 6th District, which has been really the national poster child for dem- a Democratic pickoff, flip that seat um, and uh, and won it for Democrats. And Joe Biden won in the 6th by quite a bit. Um, however, of course, those lines have been redrawn. Um, I spoke with both of these candidates earlier today, actually, on guns because um, and gun policy because Lucy McBath is so well known for her advocacy on guns. And and both of them, again, super conservative on the gun issue. Um, the only the significant difference is that because um, Rich McCormick is an ER doctor, he spoke with a, you know a lot of experience and really, frankly, a lot of emotion about treating kids in the ER who had been shot. And so he has a a, a slightly different position, not on the legalities of it, but how to. He was very willing to talk about how do you keep guns out of the hands of really dangerous mentally ill people. He doesn't think that's through statute. Um, he talked about some other ways to do it, but he does have a, it's a slightly different, it's not less conservative, it's just different. And to see these two guys fight over who is not conservative, I think the average bear sees them both as actually quite conservative. But if they can, if they could shave even a point or two off of the other guy by slinging some mud or making it seem otherwise, that's exactly what they're going to do because it's this is all the marbles for this. If they can win in this runoff, if they can win in just a few weeks, this is their seat. And you know, here in Georgia, once you're in a once you're in a safe seat, you're in a safe seat um, at least seat. until the 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 demographics and the politics catch up with you. Well, we talked about two safe seats. District two in Southwest Georgia is our final Republican runoff that we talk about today. That is between Chris West and Jeremy Hunt, and this is not a safe seat. Uh, this is a Democratic-controlled seat held by Sanford Bishop that was made slightly more competitive during redistricting. Republicans feel like they have an outside shot of defeating Sanford Bishop. And we were talking about um, GOP positions on issues like abortion. Well, we're about to hear Republican positions on guns when Jeremy Hunt was asked about supporting gun laws. Before we get into some of these Democrat proposals, we, what we need to do first is secure our schools. We have to invest in law enforcement to make sure that we have folks who are securing and keeping our kids safe. That's first and foremost. Secondly, we need to invest in mental health care. We have had guns in our country for a very long time. That is part of the American way. Protecting the Second Amendment is a, is a top priority for me. Chris West had a very similar take when it came to the Second Amendment. Yeah, it's tragic what's happened in, in, in the, the shooting recently at the school in Texas. But we cannot give the Democrats not one opportunity or, or rhinos, Republicans that will look for an opportunity to infringe on our rights and take some more of our money and spend it somewhere else where it doesn't need to be spent. You, the strongest, if you're looking for somebody to protect your Second Amendment right, that, that's Chris West. Patricia, we talked earlier about how Republicans, um, candidates, and look, the same thing's happening in Democratic primaries too, Um, but we're talking about Republican congressional primaries right now, but we're talking about how Republicans are moving further to their party's base, to to the ideological core on these issues, so there's very little variation, very little distinction between them. Um, guns is maybe the sharpest example of that because we're hearing, I mean, well, abortion's up there too, but between guns and abortion, we're hearing very, candidates with the same message that they won't do anything to, to, to pass any new gun restrictions. Um, even the so-called red flag bills, you know, even the so-called red flag legislation, um, that Senate, this U S Senate is debating right now, right now we're hearing candidates saying, nope. Um, despite the, you know, the, the, the mass shootings and, and, and the calls from Republican donors and Republican um, you know, uh, 
establishment figures calling for some sort of gun measures, um, the candidates themselves here in Georgia, they're not going for it. Yeah, especially these candidates in the congressional runoffs who, um, and the the second's going to be a little bit different, but especially for like the 10th and the 6th, um, they are not going to have major challenges in November. They're not going to have to have this same conversation with a different, less conservative group of voters in November. So it's a totally different situation for statewide candidates in Georgia. I think the gun conversation will be so different when you get a different group of voters talking about this and a more diverse group of voters talking about this. But when you've got these congressional uh, runoffs and you've got your GOP primary voters and the ones who come out in the runoffs are just the highly motivated, really most likely the activists coming out, um, they, they don't want any nuance on this issue. They want to be in agreement with the activists because they're the most most likely to turn out. And so, um, you know, again, you said it really has a lot to do with gerrymandering. These are the rewards in these races come in the primary and the competition comes in the primary and the competition doesn't come from the center. It comes from the far right or the far left. And that's where you're starting to see all of the candidates drift as these as these um, districts get more and more partisan. The people representing them get more and more partisan as well. There's just no incentive to compromise um, unless you want to go out on a limb and risk a primary challenger and, and all sorts of other sorts of competition. Let's take a quick break. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with your other host, Patricia Murphy. We are two of the authors of the Morning Jolt newsletter, which sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics. You can get it in your inbox every morning. If you're a subscriber to the AJC, you can join our community right now, this moment, by going to subscribe at AJC.com slash podcasts. In your first month of unlimited digital access, it's just 99 cents. That subscribe at AJC.com slash podcasts so you always know what's really going on. And Patricia, we have a lot of what's really going on in the latest morning jolt because we'll have Herschel Walker's responses to the flurry of Raphael Warnock ads and Democratic ads trying to throw his words back against him. So look out for the jolt for your inside peek at how Herschel Walker plans to respond to the flood of ads because we talked about an earlier show. Democrats are just going to run one ad after another of just 27 seconds, 28 seconds of Herschel Walker in his own words. 
Yeah, and his campaign has known this was coming all along, obviously. Uh, this was likely one of the first conversations they had once he was a candidate. And so um, they are prepped and ready and rolling out their responses. It'll be really interesting to see how it plays with uh, with Georgia voters and really just people seeing these for the first time. Do these really land and dismiss the questions or um, does it raise more questions by, all by itself? You know what else is interesting, Patricia, which hasn't got as much attention from from you and I, you and me, you and me right? From God, you and the me, grammar yes. police going after me on. Uh, I've gotten several emails from the listeners. I'm getting better at that. Is it from your same teacher? Your same teacher commenter? Uh, yes, uh, but but a few others too, because that's always been. Even my daughter gives yeah. me crap for that. If it's the object of a preposition, it's you and me. Yeah, I, I have to go back to my um diagramming sentences to <laughs> remind myself of what all that is. But um, we haven't been giving this as much attention, but it's really interesting is the Democratic runoffs, um, starting with the lieutenant governor's race, because Charlie Bailey was a candidate for attorney general who looked doomed. It looked like the party, the elite, the donors, everyone was coalescing behind Jen Jordan. So he decides to, at the urging of some other senior party leaders, he decides to switch races and run for lieutenant governor instead in a wide open field. Um, and this was partly, he was encouraged partly because the fact that he's a former prosecutor. And as we've just heard Republicans leveling attacks against each other on defund the police, that is a favorite attack line for Republicans against Democrats. It's a lot harder to make that attack line, to land that attack if someone on the ticket put away gangsters, you know, gang members, uh, put them in jail, put them in prison, you know, saddled them with prison charges, got convictions. And Charlie Bailey ends up number two in the race. He's in a runoff against Kwanzaa Hall, who was very briefly a a U.S. House member, former city council member, uh, unsuccessfully ran for mayor, and was the last of the major candidates to get in this LG race, and has run a very limited campaign, um, based, based mostly on name recognition, um, gets you know a significant chunk of the votes. And Patricia, um, in this phase, in the runoff phase, he is running a very limited campaign as well. He is hiding. <laughs> he is not responding to questions. <laughs> not returning texts or phone calls. Yeah, about why he's not participating in the Atlanta Press Club debate and in other forums and other events. Um, he's gone fairly silent on social media. Um, it's a very unique strategy. It's certainly a strategy you'd, you'd expect from someone who thinks they're going to win. But Charlie Bailey's in this race. He has Stacey Abrams endorsement. He has the labor union endorsement. He has endorsements of many state lawmakers. And don't forget, you know, just four years ago, he racked up a huge number of votes. Um, he came close to to defeating Chris Carr. So, you know, he has at least some remnant of statewide name recognition from, from that race in 2018. Um, you know, you were on the debate panel. Wait, were you on the debate panel? With I was. Yes, I uh, <laughs> I was on the debate panel for this debate between Charlie Bailey and an empty lectern. An empty, just and, him. Podium. <laughs> <laughs> and a missing Kwanzaa Hall. And I was talking to another reporter and I said, well, do we need to do a wellness check on Kwanzaa Hall? And she said, well, no, I was at his birthday party two weeks ago. So he was fine two weeks ago. Um, But it was just very, it has been very strange that he has gone totally dark. And um, when he, he did not respond to the press club, he didn't 
Um, he didn't decline this invitation. He just never responded. So a whole bunch of us reached out to him and said, hey, why aren't you doing this? Um, and no response to that either. Just totally, totally dark. Um, I will say that Charlie Bailey made the most of his appearance. And um, to the extent that anybody watches a debate for, um, for a runoff on um a Monday night. I'm not sure that they will. I don't know how big the ratings were, but he really made the most of that opportunity. Um, Charlie Bailey did talked a lot about his own background. Um, I asked him why he switched the races, why he got out of the AG race and into the LG race. And he said, uh, he was very upfront, said, you know, party leaders came to me, asked me to change races. And he said that he had worked uh, for Lieutenant Governor Mark Taylor back in the day. So had experience in the LG's office and felt like it would be a good fit for him as well. Um, he also had a bunch of attack lines against Kwanzaa Hall that Kwanzaa Hall was not on hand to answer for. And so um, I think, you know, Bailey made the most of it. Um, let's listen to exactly what Charlie Bailey um, tried to ask and would have asked Quanta Hall had he shown up. I would have asked a question that he's been dodging. And that is, uh, after he lost his race for mayor, uh, he illegally took thousands of dollars from the city of Atlanta. And when he was caught after a, an AJC investigation, he gave an example, excuse me, he gave a, uh, a defense and compared himself to a rape victim that he was the one being victimized. And so my question is, why did you do that, Mr. Hall? Why did you take that money illegally? Why did you compare yourself to a rape victim when you were caught? And why do you have so little respect for the voters of this state? <laughs> that gives us a little bit of an idea of why Kwanzaa Hall might not have wanted to show up if he does think he's the runner, because <laughs> these are going to be really brutal um, questions he was going to get from oh, yes. Charlie you know, Bailey. Charlie Bay Charlie Bailey actually got to answer the rebuttal he thought that Kwanzaa Hall would have made if he had been there. <laughs> so he got to answer and he talked more about those charges um, and more about uh, uh, comparing himself to a rape, rape victim. I mean, do these debate no shows matter? As a citizen, of course, I want candidates to, to debate. Uh, it didn't. It didn't seem to bring Herschel Walker down at all. It might it might end up hurting him in the run up in the in the general, I should say, because um, there are still some Republican folk, voters who are sour over that, but didn't didn't hurt him in the in the in the first round of voting in the primary. Um, you know, it's funny. I you mentioned that 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 the conversation you had with a reporter. I got a text from a, a very well known Democratic figure in Georgia who said Kwanzaa shows up for everything like the opening of an envelope. <laughs> it's hilarious. He's not debating now. It's hilarious to, to this person how he's so hard to get now because he used to be very, um, very accessible. Uh, and he's not so accessible anymore. Um, we talked a little about one of Charlie Bailey's biggest assets, which is Stacey Abrams. She yes. is taking a major, major risk a major gamble by trying to shape the field of shape the ticket of candidates who will run with her and setting up the very real possibility that uh, her the lieutenant governor candidate um, the candidate for some of these other down ticket offices um, who wins is not on the same page as her as someone that she openly opposed uh, Charlie Bailey was asked about basically his rep, his his relationship with Stacey Abrams and if there are any policy areas where he differs from the Democratic gubernatorial nominee. Here's what he said. None that I can think of. <laughs> um, I truly, I, I don't, I don't know that there's one. Certainly, if there's one out there, I don't, I don't 
know what it is. Um, I'm proud to be endorsed by Stacey Abrams, and I'll be proud to campaign with her as I did uh, four years ago when I was a statewide nominee and got 49% of the vote, the highest vote share of any down-ballot statewide Democrat. We're going to campaign for one Georgia. Sure yeah, sounds I, like um, yeah. there's, no di- there's no distance between them. No, I actually asked him that question um, because we all know that these candidates, this is really this is the first time in a long time where Democrats have had statewide candidates who all could legitimately be elected. I mean, it's a battleground state. Um, and Stacey Abrams has done so much to um, kind of uh, reform and retrain and rethink how Democrats run for office and turn out voters um, in November general elections. And so um, I would say uh, just about all of the statewide candidates are benefiting from that. Um, But, you know, all candidates are the same. They only want the upside of being associated with somebody and not the downside of being associated with somebody. So if Stacey Abrams gets to a point where she becomes extremely polarizing, are all Democrats going to stay as closely locked in with her as they are right now. And he said, yes, like there is no difference. If I'm, she and I are hundred percent the same on all the same issues. If there's a difference, he couldn't think of one. And so I thought that was, that will be a really interesting uh, answer and um, response to keep in mind going forward as we get closer and closer to November, if he wins this runoff. And even used the name of her campaign slogan, one Georgia. Um, and there's one more Democratic runoff we want to talk about today's show. It's another race where Stacey Abrams is trying to influence the outcome. That is the race for Secretary of State. But in this case, unlike Charlie Bailey, who comes in, you know, came in a distant second place and, and might not be the favorite, in this race, Bean Wen is the favorite. Uh, she has raised a lot of money. She has a lot of national name recognition. Um, she is endorsed by uh, leading party figures, including Stacey Abrams, um, and was always sort of seen as the, the front runner for the Democratic nomination for Secretary of State from the moment she got in this race. It's still, it is very unpredictable. These races have low turnout. Um, they're, they're highly volatile. Um, you just don't know who will show up. And complicating um, her position right now is that is it's, it's just confusing because her opponent, Bean Wen's opponent, is named D. D. Dawkins Hagler. She's a former state rep. Um, and when they squared off of the debate, uh, Wen was asked what she would do as Secretary of State to restore faith in Georgia's elections. The reason why a portion of Republican voters believe that the election was stolen in 2020 is because Republican leadership enabled this to happen. We currently have a secretary of state who upheld the law, but he's running his campaign based on conspiracy theories, including the alleged idea that non-citizens are voting, which is not true, and the alleged idea that Georgians are ballot harvesting, which is not true. As Secretary of State, I would uphold the law, I would use facts and truths, and I would look for common areas where we could actually build common ground and instill confidence, such as moving to a hand-marked paper ballot system where both voters on both sides of the aisle actually agree upon. Patricia, one of the reasons this race was is so unique is that it was set up to be a nationally watched contest. And with Brad Raffensperger's victory over Jody Heiss and a lot of other election deniers, um, it's no longer as um, as closely watched nationally. I mean, I was I was kind of viewing this in my own mind as as maybe the most important down ballot race in the nation um, because 
many people, including myself, might have written Brad Raffensperger off a year ago. And he not only is he, you know, did he did he fight hard, but he is now the Republican nominee outright. And so rather than, you know, Democrats now have this challenge. They can't try to run against Jody Heiss or another Trump-endorsed candidate who would have tried to overturn Georgia's election results. Instead, they're trying to run against a conservative Republican who they have plenty of reason to to not like, um, but someone who did, you know, defied Trump's efforts to reverse the election outcome. Yeah. And Rappensberger is in this really unique situation where he is coming off an election where a number of Democrats voted for him because they said they felt that Raffensperger had stood up for Georgia elections. Now, that wasn't the majority of voters in that Republican primary, um, but I spoke with a number of Democrats who voted um, for Raffensperger for that reason. Um, most said, oh, no, I'm going to vote for Democrats in November, but not all. Not all of them said that. They said, well, I don't know. I really kind of like the guy now. So B Win's answer, I thought, was so important because it gave a real window into that November strategy for Democrats to say, no, no, using words like conspiracy, using words uh, uh, to talk about uh, lies in that election, and that he is pushing conspiracies uh, just like Donald Trump. So trying to sort of make him Trump, even though he fought against Donald Trump. And B. Wynn said over and over, Brad Raffensperger is not a friend to Georgia voters. And so she was really just hammering Raffensperger um, in that. And it was a, a really... I think a really good indication of how she would run a race against Raffensperger. What I thought was fascinating was that between these two women, um, Dee Dawkins Hagler is a former state representative. She had been the head of the Black Caucus in the state house. Um, she's very seasoned. They both um, really, they really kind of at one point were complimenting each other. They were mm -hmm. both trading off barbs against Brad Raffensperger. So neither one of them was busy, was spending any time cutting the other one down. Um, but D. Dawkins Hagler did spend a lot of time on sort of this broader issue of ballot access and this broader issue, particularly of voter suppression against Black voters, historic voter suppression against Black voters in Georgia. And um, she is African-American and talked about her grandmother not having access to the ballot and not wanting her daughter to be in a Georgia where she's facing that same situation. And so they both spoke very eloquently about it. Um, I think they'll both be um, uh, kind of attractive to Georgia voters. I can see why they got into this Democratic uh, runoff, the two of them, out of a you know pretty crowded field. Um, I don't know. I have no idea who would win. Uh, but Rappensberger presents a really unique challenge for either one who comes out of this runoff. And... Um and before we go, I think that also speaks to the fact uh, of the same challenge that D Stacey Abrams has in the governor's race, is that by comparison, Governor Kemp does not seem nearly as conservative as, you know, when compared to David Perdue, who, right? Brad Raffensperger is very conservative, but compared to Jody Heist does not seem nearly as far right as Jody Heist did. And so that's the challenge for Democrats is now, you know, um, Candidates who were relatively more moderate, you know, who didn't have Trump's endorsement, won the, the nominations. Uh, and now Democrats have to go about trying to paint them uh, as, as, you know, try to mobilize, energize their supporters by painting them as extremists. Yeah, and it's a challenge that national that Democrats are having all over the country. Even Joe Biden is having the problem without Donald Trump on the stage and without Donald Trump as your enemy and your foil 
and your existential threat to put in front of voters. What is your message? Like, who are you as Democrats if you're not just the alternative to Donald Trump, who voters just, um, you know, a number of voters obviously just couldn't <laughs> stand the guy anymore. So they voted against him. Um, we talked to a lot of those voters in 2020 here in Georgia. They had been with Trump, but they couldn't do it anymore. Um, so without Trump there, who are they? And Georgia, Georgia uh, Democrats are facing this a lot sooner than they expected because they've got Brian Kemp right where he has always been. And they've got Brad Raffensperger right where he was before either one of them tangled with Trump. Um, they thought that they were going to have Donald Trump on the ballot and they really don't have Donald Trump to run against anymore. It'll be a challenge we'll be watching all through November and maybe even December or whenever the runoff is. I haven't even looked up <laughs> when the runoff is going to be, <laughs> um, but I'm already getting operatives and aides and even some candidates saying, yeah, we're thinking this is some of these races are going to go towards a runoff. So we'll see. Oh my you God. don't have to worry about that quite yet. Yeah. Instead, worry about counting on us for new episodes of this podcast because we come out with them every Wednesday, Friday, or whenever news breaks. That means we will see you then on Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years and I am still amazed at how rich the city's black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that black people might want to know about. Like historically black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Oh,